0: Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. If you have your Bibles, please join me in the Gospel of John for the final time in chapter 19. Verse 31 will be our starting point today. You remember well where we left off. Darkness had fallen over the land. Death had come. The wrath of the righteous had fallen. Weeping and screeching and horror and anguish echoed off the barren streets. Egyptian mothers screamed. And wailed as they held tightly to the bodies of their lifeless firstborn. It was indeed a dark hour in the nation of Egypt. As the Lord went throughout the land on that final night. And took the firstborn from every household. They had been warned. But the warnings had fallen on hard hearts. On ears that would not hear. And now the pride and joy of every father and mother in the nation of Egypt lay lifeless. Dark could not begin to describe this day. Neither could any adjective formulated from every language express adequately the grief of every Egyptian mother. Every household mourns, save for the families of the nation of Israel, who the night before, out of obedience, had taken part in what was going to be known as the first Passover. Out of obedience, they followed the Lord, and they took a lamb for each household, a perfect lamb. And at twilight, they slaughtered the lamb. And they took the blood from that lamb and they painted it on the doorpost of their households. And that night, as God went throughout the nation of Israel, and he saw the blood over the doorpost not just the blood of any lamb that was slain, but as he saw that blood over the doorpost, and as he saw the blood of the righteous lamb that would be slain for forgiveness of sins for all who would repent and believe, he passed over their households. The Israelites that night had gone to bed slaves, but they woke up free. Their long And dark night was over. As morning broke, freedom arose. And just as in Egypt on that dark day, so in the nation of Israel as the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God was slain outside of the gates of Jerusalem for our sins a very dark day indeed as we began last week let us complete this darkest hour that has ever faced mankind and I would ask for you to join me in the gospel of John in chapter 19 and verse 31 hear now the word of the Lord since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath for that Sabbath was a high day The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. Verse 38. And after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night. Came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. About 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths. With spices. As is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, you know well my own weaknesses and inabilities today. And so we call upon you, Lord, to speak to your people through your word. To anoint me right now for the preaching of your word that I would say exactly as you would have me to say, and no more and no less. But, Father, even through my own mistakes, and most assuredly there will be mistakes even today, through all of those things we know that you will receive all the glory, and we thank you in advance for that. Let us understand your word rightly today. I beg it in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. For two years, we are coming at the end of two years, we have been going through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is written clearly. The Holy Spirit penned this Gospel uh, through the Apostle John with a specific purpose in mind, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Let me remind you that although this book is evangelistic. The belief that is being spoken of here is is so that his people may be assured of who he is, that we might place our belief and our faith even more firmly in his grasp each and every day. John's desire, the Spirit's desire, is that the church may place all of their hope and their faith, all of their belief, in Jesus. And as we come to this passage today, once again we are struck with how beautifully poetic Scripture is. It's amazing, God has pinned His perfect word for us in an, not almost, in a completely impossible way. Over the course of thousands of years, different continents, countries, languages, and cultures, God has assembled this, his word, for us. And it's not all just kind of different, distinct, separate stories, but there's one giant narrative that goes throughout the entire Bible. And today, as we look at this passage, my desire, as we look at this precision of God, to have how through every... Uh, uh, account in his word, how through every situation throughout history, God has brought us to this very moment of the cross with pinpoint precision. Our God is sovereign. And I want us to observe today in this dark hour of the death of Jesus, I want us to observe it as being the fulfillment of God's promise made to us from the very beginning. I have two points today. If you're taking notes, they will not be on the screen. Two points for you to take today. I want us to see, first of all, in verse 31 through 37, the death of Jesus. Now, we know from last week that Jesus has taken his last breath. He has proclaimed those final words. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit and Jesus died that's when we come to verse 31 look in verse look with me in verse 31 since it was the day of preparation we are want the author here wants us to be reminded of what day this is it is the day of preparation that is it is the day before the sabbath And the Sabbath is quickly approaching, Jesus was crucified around 9 a.m., he died around 3 p.m., he had been on the cross for six hours, he had died very quickly, as we'll learn a little bit later, and darkness is approaching. Sabbath is coming uh, from the evening on Friday afternoon to the evening on Saturday afternoon, The Jewish people kept the Sabbath. It's extremely important throughout the Bible and throughout Jewish culture. It's observed by all of God's people. It is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. You shall honor the Sabbath day. You shall remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And on this sixth day, God's people were to do no work. In Exodus chapter 20, in verses 8 through 14, in the middle of the Ten Commandments, God commands his people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, and on it do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth The sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, this day is approaching, and they know that when the sun goes down finally on this day, there is no work to be done. They are supposed to be resting and observing the Sabbath. It was ingrained in their hearts, in their culture. They wanted to keep that commandment of the Ten Commandments. It was not only commanded in the book of Exodus in the Ten Commandments, but it's illustrated by God at the very beginning of creation. God who needs no rest, he needs no slumber, he doesn't have to sleep. He created the whole earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Not because he needed to get a rest, not because he was worn out, but as Jesus will say later on in Mark chapter 2 in verse 27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God had created this day, I believe, as we'll see here today, in in a very beautiful and wonderful poetic way to to show us what's going to happen here with Jesus on his death on the cross. This is a commandment, by the way. Keeping of the Sabbath was a commandment so sacred that to break it would be punishable by death. The first time that happens is in Numbers 15. They're wandering and uh, they notice that on a Sabbath day there's a person out collecting sticks. And they say, What should we do with this person? And God's command is, Those who work on the Sabbath will have the punishment of death. And there they stone that, that man and put them to death. In Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13, God reminds Moses again. Above all, keep my Sabbaths. And why does he say that? He goes on to say, because it's a sign between me and you, and between me and all of the generations, that I am the one who sanctifies you. So note, you've got the picture painted. That Sabbath day is approaching. They know they have been commanded to do no work on the Sabbath. Not only is it just, it's not just any other, other Sabbath. It's the Sabbath following the Passover. It's a high day for them. And so they are going to observe the Passover meal, and then they're going to observe this Sabbath together. As this day approaches, Jesus dies. Now let me remind you, Jesus dies. Now if I'm thinking of the creation, I know that God created man. He created us on the what day? The sixth day. Jesus dies, and on the seventh day... He rests. Many people say, Josh, what happens to Jesus after the cross? Someone say, Jesus went into hell and proclaimed the gospel to those who were there. And I would tell you Jesus went to paradise. He told the criminal on the cross, "Today you will be with me in paradise." When Jesus says, "It is finished," he didn't mean, "Hang on one minute, I got to take a I got to make a detour, I got to make a stop in hell to atone for your sins." He accomplished everything that he needed to accomplish for our sins on that cross. And on the 7th day, the Bible says, he rested. And because of Jesus' work, I mean, all of his life on this planet earth, nothing but good, never sinned, no sin found in Jesus. There wasn't a moment where he lost his temper. There wasn't a moment where he gossiped or had a thought of lust. There was not a moment in his life where he went one step over the line. Jesus did everything perfectly. He was righteous. He is holy. And he dies on the cross bearing our sins. And then he has accomplished for us everything needed for salvation. I think it's wonderful, even poetic, to think that as Jesus rests, as believers, he died for our sins. Not so we could work to earn salvation, but so that we could rest in him. Rest in his accomplished work. Verse 31. It was the day of preparation. And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was the high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Crucifixion could last for days. Several days. For several days, someone could be hanging on the cross just in agony, dying a slow and most painful death. And they did not have the time sabbath was approaching and these hypocrites of hypocrites are ready for jesus to hurry up and be taken off of that cross for these people to be hurry up and buried so that they can go home and keep these other rules that they think god had just wanted them to keep they had ignored the king of the law the one who made the law in order to pursue their concept of the law and so they're saying, "Oh, right, we need to hurry up and get them down from here. They need to hurry up and, and be buried so that we can go home and ob- observe the Sabbath and observe this Passover with our family. They knew well, Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verses 22 through 23, that they couldn't continue to hang overnight. It was against their beliefs If they were to have died, they should be taken down and buried. If not, there would be a curse on the land. And so they ask for all of them to to hurry up the death process, that their legs might be broken, that that they might be taken away. What the Romans would do here to hurry up crucifixion is they would take an iron mallet, and they'd go up to these men who are already suffering, And they would bash the bones in their legs and would break their bones so that they could not push up to get a breath. And what may seem like it would be gruesome, and I'm sure it was, was almost an act of mercy. I mean, if you could hang on the cross for three days as buzzards flew around you, I'm sure you would much rather just hurry it up and get it over with. And so they asked Pilate and the Roman soldiers, can we just expedite this process? We want this day to get behind us. We don't want to remember this day again. Let's go have the Passover. Let's go have the Sabbath and let this day be behind us. Verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. They're working their way in. Remember, Jesus is in the middle. The middle spot is reserved for the criminal with the most heinous reputation, for the one who was the worst criminal there. They're working their way in, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs they are surprised to discover that Jesus is already dead they have overseen all of the pain and anguish that Jesus has gone through, but they are surprised as a matter of fact Pilate in uh, in, in another gospel will be surprised to find out that Jesus has already died so they're They're breaking the legs of the criminals next to Jesus. They come to Jesus and they see that he's already dead. And instead of expending their energy on doing that, one of the soldiers in verse 34 takes a spear and he plunges it into the chest of Jesus. Almost underneath the ribcage, I would assume, and up through the lungs and through the heart. And the Bible tells us that when this happened at once, verse 34, there came out blood and water. Verse 35, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. He takes this spear, he runs it up into the chest of Jesus, and out comes blood and water. Now, there are plenty, plenty of theologians and doctors who could probably speak better to this than I could. And some would use this testimony to speculate to what was the exact death of Jesus some would say that the presence of that water pouring out intermixed with blood was a sign that Jesus had died of heart failure and how poetic that would be would it not well they had tried to kill him before From his own hometown, they wanted to take him uh, from his own hometown out to the edge of a cliff and throw him off and then stone him there. But the Bible says that Jesus passed through their midst because it wasn't his time. Well, Jesus had overturned the tables in the temple and that would have been a prime time for those officers to get a hold of him and to bring him before the Sanhedrin and then before the Romans and then to have him put to death. But they couldn't get their hands on him then numerous times Jesus was standing in the crosshairs of Rome and of the Sanhedrin and yet not until the right time would Jesus die as a matter of fact if should that be the case and even so I I believe that it was Jesus who laid down his life they didn't take his life from him even after all of that beating and bludgeoning after him being nailed to a cross after all of that when did Jesus die when he said it was time. At the right moment, and how poetic that would be, his heart failed, his heart burst open. Perhaps that's the case. But I believe what John is trying to say here is, this is matter of fact. I was there. You want to know how close I was? Some people would say during John's day, Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He just passed out. And John's saying, I saw them plunge a spear into his chest cavity, and I was so close, I could tell the difference between the blood and between the water. As a matter of fact, one might even imagine he was close enough to have even got some on him as he was there. They plunged this spear Go before Israel, go to that rock that I'm gonna show to you and you take your staff and you strike that rock and when you strike that rock, water's gonna come pouring out. You know, even from the early days, even from Exodus, there's this foreshadowing of what would come. Many years later, might be fulfilled. You notice how John keeps reminding us That Jesus is dying in accordance with the Scripture. Now you may hear some people today, even people from... Now a very simple place to find that is Psalm 3420. The psalmist says, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. But it's even more greatly fulfilled in the Passover. When you take the lamb for Passover... When you slay it and you take its blood and you put it on its doorpost, when you take its meat inside and you when you roast it for your family to eat, the scripture says in Exodus 12 and verse 46 and Numbers 9 and verse 12, don't break the bones of that lamb. John says, Not one of Jesus' bones were broken in accordance with the scripture. Do you you know how much God is in control? Even after Jesus has taken his last breath, he does so at the right time so that those Roman soldiers don't go over and break his bone, which he promised wouldn't happen many, many years before. You know how control he is, how sovereign our God is. Even after Jesus takes his last breath, everything is happening exactly as he laid out. Exactly as he planned. But also in verse 37, John says that he, all of this occurs that another scripture might be fulfilled. They will look on him who they pierced. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 serves as a prophecy for this moment and for a moment that is yet to come. In verse 10 of chapter 12 of Zechariah, the Lord says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Here as the Jewish people looked on at the corpse of Jesus still hanging from the cross. A spear being pulled back from his side. Blood and water pouring out. They would have looked on him Whom they have pierced. And the Bible says that there is coming a day when Jesus will return and they will look on him whom they pierced. We've seen the death of Jesus very quickly. I want you to see with me this final point the funeral of Jesus, verse 38 to 42. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Joseph uh, is uh, an interesting character, an interesting personality in the New Testament. We know several things about him. We know he was rich. He was a wealthy man. He was a leader in Israel. We know that he disagreed with the trial and with the punishment the punishment that was given to Jesus we know that he disagreed but here John tells us that he was a secret follower of Jesus's he followed at a distance it'd be easy to jump on him and to condemn him for such a thing but John really kind of vindicates him here he says that that it is Joseph who goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus now I know you're probably asking why is this a big deal Well, generally, if you were crucified, your body would be given to the next of kin after you passed away. But if you were guilty of treason or sedition, the charges on which Jesus was brought forward and on which Jesus was found guilty, you were left hanging on the cross for days after your death. They wanted to see the buzzards have their way. They wanted to see the elements have their way. And then, and if you, were, if you were taken down, you were thrown in a grave with other people who had committed the same acts. You would have no grave of your own, no respect, even in death, no deference whatsoever. And here comes Joseph, putting his really neck out on the line and goes to Pilate and asks Pilate for the body of of Jesus so he came and took away his body the scripture says Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh's myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds notice at Jesus's funeral the crowd once again is absent just a small group of people who followed him from a distance are his mourners today. They serve as the morticians for the fallen king. Myrrh is presented to him. The same type of substance brought to him by those wise men upon his birth to celebrate his coming into the world is going to be placed upon him. Verse 40, they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. They didn't embalm people. They weren't like the Egyptians. They didn't mummify people. The goal for them was to get these linen cloths these strips and they were to soak them in these perfumes and in these powders and were to wrap them tightly and to pack that in tightly around the body and none of it was to stave off or to prevent rot all of it was to do away with the stench or to make the stench as as less as possible to to make it manageable and here they are packing this around Jesus's body By the way, this is showing you that they have no idea what's about to happen next. They think that Jesus is dead, and he is dead for good. He is dead, but they think he is dead for good. That's all they've ever known. This good teacher, and all they have left is his body. He worked miracles, and all he has left is this mangled up bloody body, and so they're wrapping him up, Nicodemus. Joseph, their servants, they're wrapping him up. And there's no place to put him, verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Not even given what might be thought of as a proper burial. Evening's coming. Evening's coming. They got to get home, observe the Passover. Sabbath is coming. They have to get home and get prepared so that they can rest and do no work on this Sabbath. And they rush through this with Jesus. To them, it is over. The movement is over. Jesus is dead. But as we know, it's just begun. Next week, we will look at the resurrection of Jesus. But as I look at the death and the burial and the funeral of Jesus today, I'm reminded of this One thing from the very beginning of time, all throughout scripture, God has laid the framework for what was going to happen in the life of Jesus. For his plan of sending his only son to this earth to live a perfect life for you and for me, he planned it from the beginning of time, knowing all of your sins, knowing all of my sins, knowing how I would fail him, knowing how I would rebel against him. He planned all of it, he wrote it down in his book. I'm sending my son to come and to live a perfect life. He won't deserve anything that you're going to hand him. He's going to deserve nothing but righteousness, but I'm going to take him to the cross and he's going to die for your sins and for the sins of the world so that everyone who will repent of their sins and call upon Jesus as Savior and Lord can be saved. I look today at this unceremonious death and this overlooked funeral. I see Jesus still in charge, and I look forward to not just the Friday evening, but I love, as that old pastor once said, Sundays are coming. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.